scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good, says the Apostle Paul rather clearly. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together and eat to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Pastor Will. Thank you, Jake. <clears throat> so I'm not a fan of, of Black Friday as a concept, but I uh, picked up a few gadgets. We'll see if they're working or not yet. Let's keep going here. That's turned a little bit. There we go. Nope. Still working. Well, they do Black Friday returns. We'll see. Um, just get me onto the first slide there. 
All right, well, we are uh, continuing on this theme of foolishness to the world, uh, this uh, uncomfortable concept that we are somehow supposed to embrace foolishness. Uh, and the uh, examples that I'm going to talk to you about today uh, are some, uh, some fun ways that we in various societies have, have done that. Oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, so Paul is speaking to a group of people uh, in a mixed cultural setting. And uh, we sort of find ourselves that way too. We live in a culture that prides itself on uh, blending various cultures together. Uh, Canada is supposed to be a sort of cultural mosaic where all of us can continue to practice our own cultural practices and live out our own values in a way that we feel comfortable right alongside other people who are doing different things. That's what we have the freedom to do. Uh, but some of us will argue that over a few generations... Uh, the way that we do that collective uh, cultural thing sort of means that everything just gets blended into one anyway. And so when Paul is talking to the Corinthian Christians, let's see if we're getting anything this way. No, we'll get to the next one here. Uh, so when Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians, uh, then he is calling them out of the uh, sort of default ways of blending in. He's, he's calling them to be different, to accept and embrace that they are different. And this isn't easy to do. We don't like being different. It, it scares us as people to be different from the people around us because it makes us stick out. It, it draws attention to ourselves, and most of the time, depending on your personality, we don't like having extra attention put on ourselves. And so when Paul is, is talking to the church, he makes challenges throughout the book of, of 1 Corinthians and also in 2 Corinthians. Uh, he makes a number of these challenges to encourage them to be different. Now, this is sometimes something that we do for kids uh, and, and teenagers in high school. We challenge them to stand up for who they are, not to get pushed around, not to let other people bully them into bad and destructive behaviors. Because that's, that's what's happening there. When a group of people are all um, using the same language, it's pretty hard to use a different set of vocabulary. Uh, it, it's not easy and it's not always fun. Um, if, if everybody in a particular group uh, likes to smoke a particular substance and you're the only one that doesn't, it's pretty hard to stay as someone who fits in in that circle. So you either have to leave the group or blend in. And neither of those are, are comfortable for us. Sometimes, though, we have to stay in that in-between spot. And this is what Paul is challenging the church to do. Be fools. We are fools. That's who we are. Embrace it. So, um, a little bit later on, in, uh, a little bit later on from chapter 4, uh, we get this Paul is writing to them about some of the th problems that he's heard about. Now, <clears throat> from time to time, I've been pointing out that Paul is a little bit sarcastic. And uh, 
some people don't like hearing that because it kind of messes the way that they read scripture. Um, and sometimes the translators, I think, have picked up on this and then they reword it to kind of make it sound like a bit of a challenge. Um, but Paul has heard that there's divisions. This isn't new or different or weird. And in the next verse, he says, yeah, divisions are natural because not everybody uh, is at the same spot. Uh, some of you will be right, and there needs to be divisions between people who have it figured out and those who don't. So when Paul says, uh, I've heard that there are divisions, and I partly believe it, he's sort of being sarcastic, I think, in the second half, right? Because, of course, there is divisions. Of, of course, there's divisions between this group, but that he's heard about it is sort of the problem. Of course, there's divisions. We're going to disagree on things. We come from different places. We are different age groups. We have different income levels. Uh, we care about different issues. We vote different ways. Of course, there's going to be disagreements. But the only reason Paul hears about the disagreements is because it has become disruptive in the fellowship. And that's the problem, the disruption. Paul talks about these divisions and he challenges the people um, about their practices um, in a way that sort of delegitimizes, that kind of takes away the value of what they are doing. In a way that it sort of feels, I, I think it would feel uncomfortable. Right? Paul says, it is not the Lord's Supper that you are eating. What? That's what we called it when we got together. What do you mean it's not the Lord's Supper? So he's, he's contrasting what they are doing from what they are supposed to be doing. And in doing that, he seems to be pointing out another contrast, and you kind of have to read between the lines here a little bit. But he's saying that when you eat together, and you, even though you call it the Lord's Supper, it looks like a regular Roman supper. It looks like a regular public gathering where there's food, and you Christians in Corinth are no different than the Roman citizens around you. And that's a problem. That's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. <clears throat> now, in, in Roman society, uh, there was one day of the year, or at least one festival during the year, when this got flipped around. Um, so there's, uh, there's an old, uh, sorry, uh, one more. Uh, this is a picture, it's not going to come out very clearly, it's an old, uh, old painting from a museum somewhere. There's, there's a Roman festival called Saturnalia. And Saturnalia is uh, still celebrated by some people. Um, it's, a, it's a pagan celebration, uh, sort of built around the god Saturn and uh, worship to Saturn. But within the celebration of Saturnalia, there was one day of the year where everything got flipped upside down. Where all of a sudden the people who were at the lowest, namely the slaves in Roman society, they were lifted up to be, the, to be on the top. And, and the slave owners would serve the meal to the slaves. Uh, there might have been a little bit of uh, sarcasm. Uh, there might have been a little bit of joking. Uh, there might have been, uh, probably was a whole lot of alcohol around this. But this was part of the celebration. It was kind of a, a release. One day of the year, everything is different. 
One day of the year, the structure that we value isn't there anymore. One day of the year, the people who are at the lowest are at the top. And, and there are clues and little bits and pieces here in, in Paul's writing that this is sort of what he's challenging them. It's as though he's saying, listen, if you want to be a Roman, if you're going to eat like Romans, at least eat like it's Saturnalia. Which is weird. It doesn't, he's not directly saying that. So part of this is my own speculation uh, and other scholars who've kind of put these things together. Saturnalia is... Uh, controversial in some ways for us today uh, because this holiday uh, coincides with one of our own. There's an old pagan celebration where people would uh, celebrate by lifting up the slaves as being equals and even better than everybody else. That celebration falls around the winter solstice and when the Christians were taking over Europe, when Christianity became more and more powerful, and they wanted to continue some old holidays that people valued, it made sense that they would continue Saturnalia, but in a different form. Gift-giving was a big deal within Saturnalia, and so gift-giving is a big deal with Christmas. We didn't invent the holiday we borrowed from another one, but we borrowed from a beautiful one. Saturnalia is, is weird and strange, uh, and yet this is part of regular Roman custom. But it isn't just Roman. Um, we have celebrations like this, so even here in, in mainstream Canadian practice, Halloween is, is sort of uh, one of these days. It's sort of a, a release day. Every other day you are you, you dress up like you, you act like you, but on Halloween you can dress up like somebody else. Right? You can wear a costume to your office and nobody will think less of you. Well, maybe they will, but it's not going to impact your employment, right? Like, it's, it's one day of the year where you get to be different and weird. Um, if, if, you have, if you live in a French culture, if you're in Louisiana and you celebrate Mardi Gras, that's one day of the year where everything is different where all of the rules that normally apply don't apply. Uh, so if you've ever had to sit down and watch The Hunchback of Notre Dame with your kids, there's a whole big song around this where the ugliest man in town is now celebrated as its king. Why? Because that's what that holiday is. And we work these days and festivals into our calendars because we sort of need a kind of release. Even among us, boring Mennonites, there is something like this. Now, um, I grew up in uh, a blended cultural setting. My parents spoke low German, mostly to each other, and uh, I spoke English at school, and I didn't need to learn to speak low German, and my parents didn't feel the need to teach me, and I kind of resent that a little bit, um, but I still tried. And, I, and I've explained some of this before. I went to a, a church which was also a blended cultural setting because we had a bunch of people whose, whose German wasn't very good, and we had a bunch of people whose English wasn't very good. So the preacher would go back and forth, uh, some in low German, some in English. And so it was kind of nice. You could kind of space out for a few minutes and then just catch it the second time around, uh, which was nice. That's when I would be reading the verse on the wall, like I mentioned before. 
And, um, but in that context, I could learn German very easily because it was exactly the same ideas. The words that I couldn't grab the first time, I built the context and could figure it out. And so I learned Low German, but I learned Church Low German, which is entirely different from Barn Low German. <laughs> and when I went to school, I had friends there who knew Barn Low German. And every now and then, they would use a word that I wasn't terribly familiar with, and I would go home and I would ask my parents about the strange word that I had heard. And they were reluctant to explain to me the meaning of those words. I don't know why. <clears throat> well, there are other customs in Mennonite culture that, I ha that I've read a little bit about in textbooks, but people won't explain to me. So any of you cultural experts are, are free to offer something here. What exactly is the Bramtup in, in Mennonite tradition? Anybody know? I don't want to explain it wrong. <clears throat> Bramtop, B-R-O-M-M-T-O-P. So, Bramtop, okay. Um, there's, a, there's a tradition, though, of somebody walking around with a drum. Does that sound uh, familiar to anybody? So, and this is, I think, around Christmas sometimes. Somebody would walk around with a drum, and it would be a man dressed in women's clothing. This was never allowed in Mennonite culture unless they're carrying the Brum top and it's the right holiday. Now, you've got to look pretty hard to find these stories because people won't tell them. Um, but uh, there, there are stories and there are museums where these articles are there. So I'm not making this up. I, <clears throat> I would make it much more interesting if I did. <clears throat> but we have these. These are built into our culture. So when Paul is, is challenging people uh, to, to live, uh, to eat meals in a different way, it's probably calling to their minds, what, you mean you want us to eat like it's Saturnalia? You want us to eat like it's Mardi Gras? You want us to, to dress up like it's Halloween? So Paul is telling them, listen, when you gather for this meal, the meal that, that Christ himself taught us to eat together. This isn't a regular Roman meal. This isn't a regular Roman meal where you bring all of the garbage of your society into. So when people would gather for these meals, they would gather in people's homes. They didn't have uh, a lot of church buildings. And in, in Roman homes... Uh, there were special rooms for special people. And you might, as a poor person, you might visit a rich person's home, but you stayed in the poor people's rooms, right? The, you stayed in the front entrance. You stayed in the, in the public area. You didn't get to see the nicer parts of their house. Part of that was because you might make it dirty. Part of that was because you might make it smelly. Part of that was... Uh, you didn't know anybody in the rich area, so you stayed in the poor area. But that was Roman custom. That's a, a stratified society that the rich people, the powerful people, they mix with themselves. Everybody else kind of stays on the, on the periphery. And so the church would gather, and there were rich people in the church, and there were poor people in the church. And the rich people, they would come early, 
And they would bring a whole bunch of food, a whole bunch of good food, and a whole bunch of good wine. And they would eat, and they would drink, and it would be a big deal. The poor people would come later. Why would they come later? Well, they were working. They had to work harder uh, to earn their living because they hadn't inherited a whole bunch of wealth from their family networks. And so they had to come later and, and bring their own scraps of food if they had any. And instead, they got leftovers from the rich people's room. So this is the report that gets to Paul. He wants to know what's, the life, what's life like for the church in Corinth. Are they practicing the Lord's Supper? Well, yeah, uh, but this is what it looks like. That the poor people are entering, they're eating less, they're drinking less, they really uh, sometimes don't even get anything. Uh, and, and the rich people are in a different room, uh, and they're drunk before the poor people get there. So Paul says, that ain't right. And he lays out the instructions. Paul says, you guys are practicing like Romans do 364 days a year. This is not what the meal is supposed to be. This is supposed to be a Saturnalia kind of meal. This is supposed to be a meal where everybody has access. This is supposed to be a meal where everybody is equal. Nobody eats more, nobody eats less. Everybody eats together. So we're going to have uh, communion today. And that's our understanding. That's always been our understanding in our community that this is uh, a meal where we all enter as people being of equal value. That we come together that way because this is who we are. Uh, there's, there's a lot that's been written about uh, the ways that we do communion. A lot of stories that have been told about last-minute reconciliations. Uh, because we take this meal seriously, what it represents. Now, we as, as Mennonites are accused of not taking it seriously enough because we don't uh, understand that there's some sort of magic has, has happened. But we take seriously the corporate act of us coming together and us sharing this meal together and us valuing each other around this meal. Because the Corinthians weren't the only ones who had separated their society. The Romans weren't the only ones who did this. Um, we have a blended cultural setting. We have our ways of interacting with the world around us. And we also have the same temptations to fit in and copy uh, the way that the people around us are eating and the way that the people around us are interacting and valuing each other. And so when we come to this meal, we don't bring our income level to the table. That's forgotten. We don't bring political affiliation to the table. That's forgotten. We don't bring language and, and culture of origin to the table. That is forgotten. We come to this meal as equals. Now, part of that is foolish in a way. We work in our professions. We work uh, through our lives to build ourselves up, to put ourselves in good circles, proper circles, so that our children can add to our legacy after we are gone. Can, they can continue our work. But all of that at this table is forgotten. This 
is a kind of Saturnalia. This is a kind of a, a celebration where the outside values of this world don't apply here. When we gather for this meal, we don't live by those values. We live by God's values. This is a memorial meal. We remember the meal that Jesus ate with his disciples shortly before his death. And uh, in some ways, when we share this meal, we are almost uh, kind of peeking in on that meal as it, as it took place. And looking around that room, it'd be curious to see how they were uh, approaching it. Did they understand the seriousness? They almost certainly didn't. Uh, did they understand the, the power of what Jesus was about to do? Uh, we see all sorts of evidence that they did not. But in the eyes of, of Jesus and through his words, we see uh, that he was teaching them something. He was showing them something, that this was going to be different. Judas Iscariot, who was soon to betray Jesus, was there. Judas was about to uh, sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was already kind of collecting money on the side, as far as we have seemed to gather. And yet he came there and Jesus received him as an equal. Peter, who denied Jesus shortly after this, Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus, the man who he had sworn his life to uh, at this meal, Jesus knew this was going to happen, and Peter was welcome. And uh, we sometimes think of the disciples as 12 Jewish men who uh, just kind of all got along with each other and listened to Jesus' instructions peacefully. But the 12 disciples were a ragtag mix of people who shouldn't normally get along. There were zealots in the group, people who were angry, violently angry at, at the government, the way that the country was being run. There was a tax collector who was finan uh, financially benefiting from the way that the government was being run. There were fishermen who were on the outside of, of social and political networks. These men shouldn't have got along together, but they did. These men wouldn't normally have eaten the same kind of food as each other, shared the same sort of wine together, but at the table, they did. So when we come to the table and we expect our social rank to be recognized and celebrated, when we expect our political values to be celebrated and endorsed, when we expect our uh, football allegiances, well, that's maybe a different story, but we come here, we want to be equals. And if our hearts are in the right place, we are. But if we come to this table differently, if we come to this table holding a grudge, against somebody else, unwelcoming them in our mind, uh, then it isn't the Lord's Supper. Then it's your supper. Then it's mainstream Canadian culture supper. Because you're bringing outside values to the room. This is the meal that Christ taught us to share together. And so when we participate in this, we are participating in something corporately 
that values everybody else and brings ourselves down to everybody else's level. And that's where we belong, at the table. So uh, we are going to share this meal together. We're going to do it a little bit differently uh, than we normally do, although we have done it this way before, so it won't be entirely strange. Um, You're going to come up. We'll come up this side and exit that way like we've always done. Um, And then come gather around the table in groups, four, five, six, seven, whatever seems to be natural. Come around the table, um, and then you'll be given bread. Just rip a piece off. Uh, And then when everybody has a piece, then you can dip it in in the juice, uh, and then together you will eat. And it's uh, partly I'm doing this way to to remind us of the the group nature of this. This this isn't a meal with just you and Jesus. Uh, This is a meal uh, that we all share together. This is a communion, a community meal. Uh, And so we're gathering together around a table uh, to do it that way. Uh, There are a few gluten-free buns, small loaves here at this table, so if if that's your uh, preference, then uh, you you can um, intentionally come to this table. So I'm going to uh, offer a word of prayer, and then I will uh, speak the words of uh, of initiation. God, we thank you for uh, the example that you have given to us. Uh, We're grateful for Uh, the reminder of of the meal that you have taught us to eat together. God, help us to live out your values at this table. Help us to live your values of love and acceptance and equality, not just here at this meal, uh, but carry it with us into everyday parts of our life. God, bless us as we celebrate this meal. Uh, Help us to uh, be lifted up by the people around us. And help us to be challenged to lift up others. God, be with us. Lead and guide us, we pray. Amen. Uh, So this this is, of course, a, uh, a religious meal. Uh, This is, for us, a celebration of our journey with Jesus. If this is not your journey, uh, you can stay in your seat, and uh, there's no uh, judgment or or condemnation for that. Um, But if this is your journey, then you are welcome at the table. Uh, So feel free to to join us. The words of initiation uh, are given to us by Paul. I received a tradition from the Lord, which I also handed on to you. On the night which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. After giving thanks, and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same thing with the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this to remember me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you broadcast the death of the Lord until he comes. 